0: We have been in Philippians for a few weeks now, and we're going to wrap it up today, Lord willing, and uh, finish our study in this wonderful book, Philippians chapter 4. We Begin reading in verse number 10. If you're visiting with us this morning and you don't have a Bible with you, or if you aren't visiting but you didn't carry your Bible, uh, there should be one in front of you there somewhere in the seat. You're welcome to use that. I encourage you to follow along. Do I look trustworthy to you? Look like somebody you can trust to tell you the truth? No, I don't. You shouldn't trust me just because I'm standing up here. I could say anything to you. I could be a complete heathen. Uh, you should be looking at the Bible and making sure I'm telling you the truth. So that Bible's in front of you if, you if you want to take a look there and follow along. And as always, if you don't own a Bible and need one, help yourself to one of those. It's our gift to you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Father God, we're thankful once again for your word. I pray that you'll guide As we look at it now for these few moments, I pray you would fill me with your spirit and help me to teach and preach exactly what you once said this day and nothing more. I pray, Father, you would protect me from saying anything I should not and make me bold to say things I should. Lord, uh, just to give us ears to hear and help us, Father, to be open to what your word says this day. It's a wonderful passage, Lord. We're so thankful for it. And I pray that you'll speak to us from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come now to Paul's concluding remarks here to the Philippians. And in this last section, we're reminded of one of the reasons that he wrote to them. We, we talked about this right at the very beginning when we introduced the letter to the Philippians. He was writing to them for several reasons, but one of the reasons was to say thank you. Thank you for a gift that they had sent. They had sent a financial gift uh, by the hands of Epaphroditus, who had carried it to Paul and who was now carrying this letter back uh, with this uh, thanks from Paul. And uh, they had sent this gift, which they had collected, financial gift, to meet Paul's needs while he was in prison there in Rome. So he wrapped up the letter with words of appreciation, but also with some final greetings and some benedictions, uh, such as he employed in, in most of his letters. The last three verses sound very much like many of his other letters. In these last few verses, I don't know if you noticed, but there are some real nuggets of gold in this passage. There are verses herein that are among the most beloved verses in the Bible. There is a promise in this passage, which we'll talk about in just a moment, which some have called the greatest promise in all of the Bible. I always find that dangerous to assign those kinds of superlatives to things in Scripture. But I have read where people have called this promise the greatest in the Bible. And so I want us to think about what Paul said here in these closing remarks. And here's how I want us to organize our thinking. I want us to pull out of his words here several key phrases. And we're going to use those key phrases to guide our discussion down through it. We're pretty much just going to go verse for verse, but we're going to look at these key phrases. And here they are. First of all, he said, I rejoiced. I rejoiced. Secondly, he said, I have learned. He said, I can do. He said, I seek and I have And finally, he said, My God shall supply. That's where we're going to go if you're taking notes or following along. First of all, look at verse number 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. I rejoiced in the Lord. Now, this is nothing new to us. He has, he has spoken of joy and rejoicing over and over throughout this letter, right? It's been a theme, the theme of the letter from the very beginning. We've seen it in almost every sermon that we've looked at as we've gone down through Philippians. In chapter 1, he said, Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. He said, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. He said, being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. That was chapter one. And then in chapter two, he said, fulfill my joy by being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad. I rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Therefore, I send him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice. That was chapter 2, over and over. In each of these chapters, he's spoken of joy and rejoicing. In chapter 3, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you to save. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So in every chapter, and now here in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. And now here finally one last time, in verse number 10, I rejoiced in the Lord. The thought has been so key in this letter, joy, rejoicing in Christ. And as we see here, Paul not only urged this mindset on others, but he modeled it here. He says here, I rejoiced. I am the one who's rejoicing in the Lord greatly. And if we had time, we could go back and we could look at other passages of Scripture, and I think we would see that we could easily consider this an overarching theme of Paul's life. He, just, he lived a life of joy. There's ample evidence, not just here, but in other writings as well. That, uh, he lived a life filled with the joy of the Lord. But here, in this passage, he has a very specific reason for his rejoicing. And in this case, the specific context is he was rejoicing over their care and provision for his material needs. That's what he was rejoicing over right here. They had sent this gift. They had sent it via Epaphroditus. It was a material offering. It was money to meet his physical and material needs. We see that. It's mentioned in verse number 10. It's mentioned in verse 14 and verse 18. And this was not the first time that this church had done this. Matter of fact, they had a reputation for this. They had participated in and shared in his ministry before. And so as Paul thought about this, thought about this church, thought about this gift, thought about Epaphroditus, all these things, their generosity and their provision brought him joy. And he said, I rejoiced. I rejoiced. Second thing that he said here is in verse number 11. He said, I have learned. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Further down in verse number 12, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul was no doubt extremely grateful for their gift. There's no question about that. His his statement in verse 10 tells us that. But he hadn't asked for it. He was getting along just fine without it. Why is that? He was in prison. He was in need. He didn't seem to act like he really needed their gift. And the reason is because he had learned something. He had learned the secret of contentment. He said, I have learned to be content. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have have learned both to be full and to be hungry. I have learned both to abound and to suffer need. Contentment. Interesting word. The Greek word translated here, content, literally means self-sufficient. It was a word that was used in the worldly culture of the day to describe someone who was a self-made man. There would be plenty who think that way in our culture today. But that's not the way Paul was using the word, and that's not the way it applies to Christians. Here, we're talking about not someone who is finding their sufficiency in self, self self-sufficient, but someone who's finding their sufficiency always and ever in God. That's what Paul was talking about. Contentment. Oh, that I possessed more of it. I have to confess to you, this is not an area that I am strong in. Uh, And probably many believers are the same. We struggle with this, don't we? It's hard to be content, no matter what comes our way. Elizabeth Elliot wrote, To love God is to love His will. It is to be content with His timing and wise appointment. That is hard, but Paul had learned this, and we need to learn this. Other verses tell us the same: not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Second Corinthians three five. That's where our contentment comes from. 1 Timothy six six: godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy six eight: having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Hebrews thirteen five. let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul was content with, with wealth and prosperity. He had experienced that. He was equally content with need and poverty. He had experienced that. However, he he experienced the extremes of both. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless he had experienced that. He said in Second Corinthians chapter 11, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He had had all of these things experienced all of these things, and yet he was content. Paul was content. We read down to verse number 18. We see he's grateful for their gift, but we also see him saying, I have all. It's enough. I don't need more. Thank you for meeting my needs, but I'm just fine. I can imagine Paul was saying just like David would say in Psalm chapter 23 and verse number one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think the Apostle Paul was, was speaking here just like the prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament who said, though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high heels. Whatever comes. Whatever happens. I have all I need. I am content. That was Paul. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I need to work on that. I desperately need to work on that. I imagine many others too. I have learned, Paul said. Look at verse number 13, the next phrase. I can do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My wife loves this verse. This is her favorite verse. This is her life verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's certainly one of the most beloved verses in all of the Bible. Every once in a while, some survey will be done about what are the best, what is everybody's favorite verses in the Scripture. And this one will usually figure somewhere prominently in that list. And here in this wonderful verse, and it is a wonderful verse, Paul admits there's nothing special about him that enables him to find that contentment in every case. He says just as Christ was the source of his joy back in chapter 4. How about now? There we go. Christ was also the source of his strength when it came to this matter of Contentment. It was not his own strength that got him through hard times. It was the strength of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but this verse of Scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, has helped me navigate some pretty rough seas in the past. How many of you would say the same? This verse has helped us. I mean, meditate on it for a minute. I can do all things. I can get through this trial. I can endure this illness. I can rise above this failure. I can climb out of this pit. I can defeat this giant. I can climb this mountain. I can renew this broken relationship. I can love this unlovable sister. I can forgive this unforgivable brother. I can do all things. All things. Not in my own strength but through Christ, falling back on his strength, not from my resources, from his. And we read something very similar to this in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I can do all things. He says something else now in verses 14 through 18. He says, I seek and I have. I have. Here he's specifically talking about their gift, their generous gift and his gratitude for it. Interestingly, the Philippians were the church that from the very beginning of Paul's ministry had supported him, not just in prayer, but financially, physically, materially. They had done it from the very start, he said from the very beginning of the gospel, from the time that he had led Lydia to the Lord and the Philippian jailer to the Lord and left behind this fledgling church there in Philippi. They had done it when he was in Thessalonica, and that would have been later during his second missionary journey in Acts 17. They had done it when he was in Corinth, when he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, When I was present with you, Corinthians, and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied that was Philippi, the Philippians. This church, the Philippian church, was the exemplar when it came to giving churches. And what is probably the most significant passage in all of our New Testament about the matter of giving, Second Corinthians 8 and 9, those two chapters, Paul holds this church up as the gold standard. This is the church uh, that was remembered more than anything else for giving. What a great thing that would be to be remembered for. I was thrilled beyond measure when last year our little church packed a thousand Operation Christmas Child boxes. And now I confess to you that I am a human being, and there's no doubt some selfish pride that was in that. No doubt. Look at our little church. Wow, aren't we great? I'm sure there was some of that nonsense in there. But you know what else was in there? I was just thrilled to death to, to, to know that uh, this church, that was once known for disarray and known for disorder and known for fighting and all the things that we were known for, is now more and more known for reaching our world for Jesus Christ. A thousand boxes! Praise God! What a thing to be known for! I rejoice every time I look at our missions board. Every time I look at that thing and I think about all the different missionaries that this little church supports. We devote a pretty good portion of our of our every year budget to missions. This little church has supported a missionary in every country of the world. I don't know too many churches of any size that could say that. And yet we did that a while back. Praise God. And it's something good to be known for. Anything that we can do as a church that makes us like this Philippian church, known for our giving to support the cause of Christ here and around the world, it's going to bring us joy. We ought to do it if we can be like them. Well, Paul said some things here very specifically about their gift. Let me mention these. And, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to go past them. Uh, there's just a couple things here about their gift and giving in general that are important. And if you're visiting with us today, I can imagine some are visiting with us today and saying, yep, every time I go to church they talk about money. Uh, ask anybody in this room when the last time was I talked about money. We don't do that here unless we come to it in the scripture. And guess what? We came to it in the scripture this morning. So we're going to talk about it. Just a couple things he mentions here. Notice, first of all, those two little words at the end of verse number 15. Verse number 15, he said, When I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. We're going to underline those two little words. You only. One commentator saw in, those phrase, in that phrase a very needed reminder. He said, We are not to wait for others in a good work, saying, I will do it. When others do it, we must go forward, though alone. That's a great reminder. I hate talking about giving here, but it's a great reminder in every way. You only. So many times the Lord might let us know of a need in somebody's life or in, in the life of his missionaries or in the life of his church or in the persecuted church or someplace. Do we only act if somebody else acts or do we step forward if it's only us? and act. What if nobody else helps? What if we are the only one to see the need and feel the call of God to do something about it? Paul commended the Philippians for helping even when it was them only. The good Samaritan didn't wait for somebody else to help. He didn't wait for a crowd to gather. He helped when it was him only. Notice another little phrase that he used here. It's in verse number 17. He said, not that I seek the gift. Not that I seek the gift. Preachers get a bad rap about this sort of thing because uh, there's a few preachers who are constantly seen with their hand out. There are big name evangelists, TV preachers, megachurch preachers sometimes who are always seeking money, vociferously asking for it on every occasion. Some church leaders are uh, guilty of overextending their church's finances, maybe getting the church in debt. One of the reasons that we're trying to build phase three without any debt whatsoever, uh, sometimes a, a church will get themselves horribly in debt, and then the pastor finds himself up against the financial wall, and he's pressing the congregation for money and, and beating them over the head for it all the time. That gives all of us a bad rap when that happens. All of us could learn from Paul here. He did not have his hand out. He was not seeking a gift. He was content with whatever God brought his way. Whether it was a gift or a trial, he wasn't asking for anything. He said, not that I seek the gift. In actuality, he wanted something else, though. He did want something. And uh, what he wanted is also in verse number 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul was more interested in the reward they would get for giving than in his benefits from receiving the gift. And now, you need to listen to me now. This, this too might seem self-serving, but it's not. This is the truth. This is Bible. There is reward for serving Christ. There is reward for giving to his work, for helping others in the ministry. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. He doesn't forget. There is reward. Paul counseled Pastor Titus. He said, let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. There he was saying in the negative what here he's saying in the positive. There is fruit that amounts to your account when you serve the Lord, when you give to support the cause of Christ. Verse number 18, he said their gift was an acceptable sacrifice for God. They weren't just giving to, to Paul, but the gift was in reality an offering to God. That little phrase there, a sweet-smelling aroma, it was used in Leviticus to describe an offering that was pleasing to God. It was also used of Christ's offering of himself in Ephesians 5, 2, when it said, Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So there's a principle here. There's a principle here we need to remember. What we do in support of those serving Christ, we do for Christ Himself. Jesus said, the king will answer and say to them, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. We're to be a giving people. We're to be a sacrificing people. A sharing people. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. Do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And so Paul knew, and he stated it very plainly here, That when these Philippians gave to meet his needs, they were on an even higher level giving to God. And when they did that, they were bearing fruit for Jesus. And fruit was abounding to their account. Well, one last phrase, and perhaps the most important one is in verse number 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My God shall supply. You cannot outgive God. When we give to God, he ensures we do not want for the gift. When we give, he gives back. The source of our giving might be our meager stores, our meager wallet, our meager bank account, but the source of his giving back, his supply, is his riches and glory. And notice it doesn't say here that he gives back out of that supply. He says according to it, according to it. God doesn't give us in proportion to our need; He gives in proportion to His infinite riches, and that's an amazing thought. My God shall supply. My God shall supply all your needs. Now, here's where uh, there's one commentator that I read said this may be the greatest promise in all the Bible, because every other promise in the Bible is included in this one. I mean, think about it. What is it that you need? What is it that you need? My God shall supply all your needs. Do you need forgiveness? Forgiveness for sin, cleansing of sin in your life. First John chapter one, verse number eight and nine. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. My God shall supply all your needs. What do you need? Salvation. Are you here this morning and you never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior? If you were to die today, do you not know for sure you'd go to heaven? We're going to baptize some in just a few moments who are going to say, yes, I know that. I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. Can you say that? Do you know that? Do you need salvation? The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. My God shall supply all your needs. You need wisdom, understanding. You're trying to make a decision. You're going through something that you're trying to figure out. The Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without approach, and it will be given to you. What do you need? My God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Whatever it is, God can and will supply it out of the abundance of his wealth, which is infinite. Now, of course, the particular context of this passage is referring to financial needs here. He's talking very specifically about money here, and so we don't want to shy away from that, and we don't want to go too far astray from that. These people had sacrificed to give financially, and God would bless that. That's what he was talking about. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency and all things may have an abundance for every good work, Paul said to the Corinthians. Another way, he said the same thing. When we give financially, he will bless that Giving. Let me share a word of testimony along these lines. Let me tell you a little bit about how that has worked out in my life. Many years ago, my wife Beth and I just determined that we were going to obey God and we were going to tithe our income. Now, tithe is a word in the Bible that simply means tenth. And tithing is simply the practice of giving one-tenth of your income back to God on a regular basis. It was the law in Old Testament Israel, tithing. And if that seems odious to you to hear me say that, realize that I really didn't tell you all the truth there. The fact is, the law in Old Testament Israel was more like a tithe than a tithe than a third of a tithe. It was, it was 23 and a third percent. It was a lot worse than just the tithe. But we no longer live under the Old Testament. There is no such law in the New Testament that compels us, requires us to give. We give now because not because we are commanded to, but because... We're privileged to. We give out of love now and thanksgiving for Christ's gift of grace on the cross. We give because we can and because we are given the wonderful opportunity to participate in what he is doing in this world that has eternal, eternal value. The New Testament model for giving is found most clearly described in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I'll let you go there on your own. But basically what the New Testament teaching about giving is Christians ought to give what they can. They ought to give when they can, and they ought to give because they can. Christians ought to want to do more than what was required under the Old Testament law. For if we are to give with the same measure we have received, that's what the Bible says. How much have we received? A lot. So if you can give 10%, you give 10%. If you can give more, you give more. If you have to give less, you give that. God loves a cheerful giver. He's not interested in you giving out of a begrudging heart. Give what you can. And so my wife and I decided that we were going to do that. We were going to begin tithing. And with only a couple of minor slips along the way, we did that up until the day that she died. And and, and Kathy and I tithe to this day. Actually, we try to give a bit more than the tithe. And so now here's my testimony about all of this. And I'm sure I'm not alone on it. I've never lacked, ever, not for a moment, I have never gone hungry. You don't have any trouble doubting that, I know. Never. All my bills have always been paid. There is money in the bank. God has blessed. And here's the most important part of my testimony in this matter. I have never missed that offering. Not for a moment that I have given. I have lived just as well. I have lived better, I am sure, than I would have had I kept it all. You can trust God with your wallet, Christian. You say you trust him with your soul. You trust him with your wallet. He knows better than you what you need. He wants to bless you more richly than you can imagine. The words of the Old Testament uh, prophet Malachi are still true today. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I love that passage. You know what that is? That is God's double-dog dare to you and me. How many of you have watched the Christmas story? A double-dog dare, a triple-dog dare? Maybe this is God's triple-dog dare. You know what he's saying in that? You go on you read, it. here's my, here's my paraphrase of that. He's saying, I double-dog dare you to test me out on this. See if you can, if you can cause me to fail on this, because I'm not going to. He says, if you give, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you, such that you will not be able to. To receive it, test me out. Now we have to clarify this a little bit. There's an awful lot of health and wealth heretics out there. There's an awful lot of people, TV preachers, and others, who will tell you that if you give, send money to them, then you'll get a Cadillac or something ridiculous like that. Uh, that, that that when you give to them, money will fall, fall out of the out of heaven and land in your lap. The important thing to understand is God said He'll bless. He didn't say he'd bless you with money. He might. He might not. He might bless you some other way. But I can can guarantee you this on the authority of Scripture, that whatever, however he blesses you, it will be better than what you gave, whether it's money or in some other way. Brothers and sisters, when you give to Operation Christmas Child, what we talked about earlier today, when you give to our mission program in general, you are meeting the needs of many. There's no doubt about it. You are bringing salvation. You are bringing hope to people around the world. But you know what else you're doing? You're pouring wealth into your own account in heaven. When you give to support the work of this church, you are participating in souls being saved. There's no question about it. Uh, we had some baptized last week, some baptized soon will be baptized this week. We had one saved last week in, in youth group. And you're participating in all that wonderful stuff when you give to support the work in this place. But you know what else you're doing? You're pouring riches into your own account in heaven. When you give to support our phase three building program, you're participating in a vision of reaching our community for the Lord Jesus Christ in ever greater and, and, and more useful ways. Providing improved facilities, all the things we've talked about. You're participating in all that. But above and beyond all that, you are pouring into your own heavenly account. You receive far more than you give. You receive far more than you give What a promise. Get hold of this promise. Hold this promise tight. Test it out. Try and make it fail. Because I guarantee you, you can't. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Well, after that amazing promise, Paul wraps up his letter, and there's really not a whole lot left for him to say. He gave God all the glory in verse number 20. He sent greetings to the believers in Philippi and from the believers in Rome, verses 21 and 22. He mentioned the believers in Caesar's household, which is neat, because we learned way back in chapter 1 that uh, here he was, chained to these guys, and they couldn't escape him, and members of the, of the guard and others were being saved. And then finally, he ended the letter as he so often did with a benediction, and that's how we'll end the sermon today. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.